Blog Talk Radio. J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we are going to be continuing with one of our just favorite themes and favorite neuroscientists, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Well, as you who listen with regularity know that we spend a fair amount of time speaking with uh, neuroscientists and neuropsychologists, uh, recently Dr. Richard Davidson and others, Dr. Stanley Tatkin talking about the way of the brain and its interface with consciousness and how we can use this incredible human potential with which we have been gifted at this special evolutionary point in time where our human biology, or I should say human psychobiology, has developed to such an extent that we are capable of what we would considered to be rather extraordinary feats. And uh, Joe Dispenza, who is a leading figure in the field of neuroscience, uh, is exploring in his books, uh, one of them, the best-selling book, The uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and more recently, and the focus of today's show, again, You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. And Joe travels the world, really, and especially in the United States, offering workshops, teaching people how to actually use these farther-reaching aspects of their nervous system, of their prefrontal cortex, and other aspects of their being. So it's always dealing with physiology and consciousness at the same time, and Oftentimes, you could say the same breath, and that's why we invited Joe back to A Better World, because it's just brilliant the way he has a way of expressing what these uh, interfaces are and the way that we can all personally gain by using our own uh, deep recesses and resources uh, in our daily lives and actually to utilize them in such a way to create a better world both for ourselves locally and the way that you could say emanates outward, effervesces outward into the worlds in which we live and uh, and thrive. So uh, just a few more words about Joe Dispenza. He uh, first caught the public's eye as one of the featured scientists in the award-winning What the Bleep Do We Know, the film, which is a real genre creator, 
going back some years now, but Joe had done a huge amount of research and work on himself and in the field and told in our last uh, interview with him an extraordinary story of self-healing, of a, a very serious injury and accident that he sustained and his working his way through it, which really is what opened up his own mind and own brain to what potential possibilities of self-healing are, and he's been, in a sense, broadcasting that ever since. So it's really a pleasure, Joe Dispenza, to have you back on with me today on A Better World. Thank you, Mitch. I'm very happy to be with you. Good. I'm so glad. So, uh, Joe, we in our last uh, dialogue, we were going through uh, some aspects of you are the placebo, making your mind matter, which is a very rich book. And, uh, you know, it's just it lays out so many answers to questions that have been plaguing people for so long. Why don't you just, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of open up and uh, share with us what you feel the salient features uh, you were trying to make to your your audience are. Sure. Um, One of the fascinating things about the placebo, Mitch, is that it's a question that really has to be addressed, and that is that if you can give someone a sugar pill, a saline injection, or perform some false surgery or treatment, a certain percentage of those people will actually accept, believe, and surrender to the idea, to the thought, that they're getting the real treatment or the real chemistry, and they'll begin to program their own autonomic nervous system to make their own pharmacy of chemicals that matches the exact substance they think they're taking or the um, treatment they think they're they're getting. So the question is, is it the external inert substance that's doing the healing, or does that substance represent a symbol of possibility? And if you understand the mechanics and the science of how the placebo works, is it possible then that once you understand the mechanisms and how it affects the biology, can you teach the exact same principles without the belief in the external substance, and can you have people begin to select a potential that exists in the quantum field and then begin to emotionally embrace that potential so that they do the exact same thing that people are doing with the placebo, and instead of focusing on the known, they begin to focus on the unknown and make that unknown known. And the answer to the question, based on some of the research we've done, is that we've been very surprised that uh, some of the results we've gotten, and you can actually teach it. Mm. And what is it then? So, first of all, the the point is, of course, very interesting that <clears throat> the brain is able to process information. Um, in a sense, maybe that's what everything is, is one form of uh, datum or another. It's processing information in the form of, as you were saying, a symbol that is represented materially by often a sugar pill. But without the sugar pill, it's still receiving the information, and that's what you're teaching in the workshops across the country that you've been teaching. Sure, and and I had to come up with a plausible understanding 
of why we were seeing so many remissions from so many conditions in the workshops that we we have been teaching around the world and the only the only um Hello? Dr. Joe Dispenza. Uh, I say that again. Somehow it got interrupted. The only what? Hello? Are you on a landline? We cannot hear. Most sadly, <laughs> we cannot hear. If you can hear me, you may want to call back. Call into the number. And try this again, uh, just a momentary technical glitch, and uh, our brains are going to put themselves to the issue. Joe Dispenza, are you back with us? Okay, not just yet, not just yet. Well, he will be back shortly, so in the meantime, I will just uh, let you all know that uh, Joe will be on the East Coast rather soon and uh, offering a workshop the beginning of November in Norwalk, Connecticut. And uh, if you have not met Joe Dispenza in person, it is really something to do. He's uh, uh, a a lovely man, a real gentleman, and um, is what he has to teach is just extraordinary. Joe, are you back with us yet or not? No, it's um we're getting a little hiccup here which is um odd but true and uh he'll be back as soon as we get this resolved. So I'm going to resort yet again to uh reminding you of the workshop that Joe will be teaching in Norwalk, Connecticut. And if you go to drjoedispenza.com, you will be able to read some information about that uh, workshop coming up in early November in Norwalk, Connecticut. I've taken workshops with Joe before, and uh, they just hop. The sense that one gets of uh, what is possible and 
when you feel that you are really um, kind of harnessing your brain in the direction you want it to go, directives, intention, and you get some sense that a neural pathway is actually being cut based on your intention, it's a very powerful experience because you sense and feel inside that you are able to really take command of your own life. So that's what uh, that's what goes on at Joe's workshop. So I definitely encourage you to meet Joe in person and take advantage of the richness of the teachings. Joe, are you with us again? I am, I am. Sorry about that. Okay, fine. I have a feeling your brain overpowered AT&T. <laughs> I hope one day that's <laughs> I was just letting in your absence uh, I enjoined Mozart to join me so you were in good company actually and uh, also I was informing the audience of your upcoming workshops uh, especially the one in Norwalk, Connecticut which in the early early November and I'm definitely having been with you at the Meta Center some years ago and having had a taste of the richness of what it is that goes on there, I, I strongly recommend that people take the opportunity to spend time with you in person doing oh. the workshops. Thank yeah. you very much yeah. for that, Mitchell. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Joe. You know how I feel about you and the work you're doing. It's uh, it's stellar, and that's why we keep wanting to have you back on A Better World to educate and uplift our audiences because it's when we talk about human potential and the potential of the brain, uh, you know, we're sort of tired of the of the reptilian way of living. God bless it, however, for keeping us biologically alive. So I am grateful. But, you know, at a certain point, we want to go from survive to thrive. And I feel that your work is very much pointing us in that direction. So I'd love for you to pick up on where you were there talking sure. about um, – we were talking about – the symbols from the placebo, when you give the placebo, and now you're working with people in the workshops uh, in such a way that uh, you're, getting the, you're conveying the information without the formal placebo and seeing results. You want to pick sure, up on that? Sure, sure. Yeah, and you know, there's, what we found out was that there's really three things that allow uh, the effects of the placebo to be the most uh, uh, most proficient. And the first one really is what we call conditioning. If you give someone yes. a, uh, uh, an analgesic, a pain reliever, and yes. when you give them that pain reliever uh, and you associate that, uh, that particular pain reliever with a name or a pill or, or something outside of the person, something external, and if you keep giving giving them that pain reliever, in time they'll begin yeah. to associate that external substance with some internal change. And the moment they make that association between that external substance and the internal change in their body, they create what's called an associative memory. Now, once that association is established, what they're really doing is they're anticipating the future based on a past memory. So you could actually diminish the substance the pain reliever, and over time, the person will begin to manufacture their own natural pain relievers, their own natural morphine-like substances that begin to substitute 
the very the very external substance that they're taking. So conditioning over yeah. time is one of the things that yeah. works really well for the placebo. It's it's, the it's thing, Pavlovian. I mean, in a sense, really, it's it's that part of uh, what the brain does, you know, has been really uncovered so much by Pavlov, honestly. Right, and that and that kind of uh, conditioning. Uh, really is uh, a subconscious process. Because if you think about this, the moment uh, the person sees an external substance, let's just say it's a pill that's supposed to take away their pain, the moment they see that external substance, they begin to autonomically, automatically, physiologically, and chemically move into an altered state of being. So... It's by association, then, that the subconscious mind or the autonomic nervous system begins to anticipate the future based on the past. And if you do that enough times, sooner or later, the body, as the unconscious mind, begins to believe it's in that future scenario in the present moment. And the body, as the unconscious Mm. mind, does not know the difference between an actual experience that creates an emotional effect and an emotional effect that we can create by thought alone. So conditioning is number one. The second one is what we call expectation. Because let's say a person has uh, been diagnosed... In fact, if I may say, something I learned from you, Joe, some years ago, was that wonderful phrase, the cells that uh, fire together, wire together, and in a phrase, that's what you're talking about, this associative memory. Exactly. But the associative memory also has an emotional component to it because thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates a state Mm -hmm. of being. So when you give someone a sugar pill, that sugar pill is the symbol that begins to represent health, represents possibility. Now, there are infinite potentials in the quantum field And when that person begins to select that future potential, and then they begin to emotionally embrace with enthusiasm or excitement or joy the outcome, when they combine that clear intention with an elevated emotion, they move into a new state of being. Now, here's the beauty. They're no longer being defined by a memory of the past. In that moment, they're beginning to be defined by a vision of the future. And it's the brain and body that move into an altered state. And it's that combination of thoughts and feelings that begins to program the autonomic nervous system. I mean, it can work for you or it can work against you. I mean, 50% of every person that's been diagnosed with cancer that's on their way to their first chemotherapy treatment who's told they're going to get nauseous uh, from their first chemotherapy treatment gets nauseous on their drive over. It's called anticipatory nausea. Mm. They're getting, they're getting yeah. sick before the actual treatment. So if 50% of the people can, can get nauseous on their drive to their first chemotherapy treatment, then 50% of people can get well on their drive to work. It's the same exact mechanism yeah. if you understand how the principle works. So that's the second thing. Yes. The third thing that's really important is what we call assigning meaning to things. And once you understand how things work or why things work, you're more prone to produce a greater effect. So when you, we use, in our workshops, we think that science is the contemporary language of mysticism. We think that science is Mm -hmm. what creates community. If you start talking religion or culture, you start talking 
tradition, you tend to divide an audience. But if a person yeah. begins to understand, for example, what they're doing when they combine a clear intention with an elevated emotion and the concept of epi epigenetics and neuroplasticity, if they understand what they're doing, they'll get better results because they do understand what they're doing. And there's been great studies, Mitchell, that, uh, in, about assigning meaning to things. One, one particular I talk about in the book is if you take a group of Latin American maids and you follow mm -hmm. these Latin American maids around for a whole day, and the scientists did this experiment, uh, they followed these maids around and they found out that when they watched these maids, you know, flip mattresses and push uh, furniture around and scrub toilets and scrub tiles in the mm -hmm. bathroom and push push their carts and make beds and bend over, that they mm -hmm. actually exceeded the Surgeon General's requirement for exercise. They were actually burning more calories than they were consuming. But the problem was is that most of them were overweight. So they sat, they divided the maids into two categories. One category, they allowed the maids to continue doing what they're doing. But in the other category, they had they sat down with the maids and they said, do you know the benefits of exercise? Do you know exercise helps you lose weight? It makes your waist smaller. You changes your lean body mass, and this is what lean body mass is. And here's the amount of calories you're consuming, and here's the amount of calories you're burning. And exercise helps your heart and increase self, increases self-esteem. Well, one month later, without those maids changing anything, except they just understand what they were doing, they lost weight. Yeah. They had a smaller waist. They had less body fat. Their heart rate decreased uh, on the average of 10 beats per minute, and they had greater self-esteem. Now, nothing changed. They just understood what they were doing, and they could put more intention behind it. So those are the three mechanisms that we use over and over again to reproduce the same effect uh, that the placebo does. Now, one of the things about the placebo study that's very interesting is that, say, say for example, you're taking... Uh, uh, a placebo uh, in, in an antidepressant, uh, 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 in an antidepressant study. Well, mm -hmm. three out of four people that that take a placebo for depression uh, get better. But the key element here is that every single day for six weeks they're taking that particular substance. So that substance is reminding them of a future. And because it's reminding them of a future and they're assigning meaning to what the medication might do, and because they keep revisiting that future potential and be becoming enthusiastic or inspired or in a state of gratitude, and they've been conditioned over time to understand that drugs can actually change your chemistry, then if you need to take that placebo every day, then in our workshops or in our work, we ask people to use a meditative model to begin to do the exact same thing and uh, practice it every day. And so it doesn't happen, I want to be clear, it doesn't happen for everybody in one uh, uh, one particular incident or two particular incidents. Sometimes in one shot, time. yeah. Yeah, you've got to turn mm -hmm. the battleship around and you've got to move the brain and body. Yeah. From it's a muscle that you're learning to use and exercise. Exactly. You've got to turn the battleship yeah. around. And when you begin to turn the battleship around, the beauty behind it is that's when... Uh, the brain and body are no longer in the past. That's when they're, you know, living in the future. And, and, and moving into a new state of being is seems mm -hmm. to be the one thing that we've observed over and over again that makes the most significant difference. Mm. You know, I almost think, Joe, as you're speaking, you could say to a person who is uh, reporting being depressed, uh, take two good thoughts and call me in the morning. 
you know. Well, there's been enough research, Mitchell. You know, take for example, just the just the state of being called gratitude. The research shows that if you can teach people how to move into a state of gratitude just for 10 minutes every morning, that they begin to activate this particular uh, first means of defense called immunoglobulin A. Now, immunoglobulin A is the is the very immune system mechanisms that begin to combat viruses and bacteria. Now, the antithesis of that is also true. If a person is feeling fear or anger or aggression or depression, they shut down immunoglobulin A, and, of course, they're more susceptible to bacteria and viruses. And it's not those bacterias that actually create flus. It's our weakened immune system that does it. Those bacteria yes. are called opportunistic right. bacteria. Right, it's the old germ theory versus Beauchamp and the uh, the terrain theory. Exactly. It's it's those those right. bacteria are called yeah. opportunistic bacteria because they're waiting for an opportunity to, for your immune system to be compromised. So to be when people begin to understand, exactly. if you understand what gratitude does, you really assign mm-hmm. meaning behind it you really understand how instrumental it could be for yourself and for your health, you may actually take 10 minutes every morning and begin to become thankful for something, not only in your present reality, but something that exists as a potential in your present reality. Why? Because the emotional signature of gratitude means the event has already occurred. So if you're embracing the emotion of gratitude while you're picking a potential or having an intentional vision of the future, your body is the unconscious mind, begins to believe it's in that future experience in the present moment. And you will accept, believe, and surrender only thoughts equal to the emotional state that you're in, which means if you're afraid or you're anxious, you can only accept, believe, and surrender to the thoughts equal to your anxiety. And you begin to program your autonomic nervous system into another destiny. So by teaching people how to Mm. elevate their moods and combine it with a clear intention, they're more su- suggestible to the thoughts that support them instead of the thoughts that don't. So back to the concept of the immunoglobulin A. Why is it that everybody yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, uh, an environment of a, of a very stressed out uh, corporate uh, environment where all of those people yeah. get sick at the same time? It's not the bugs that create the sickness. It's the stress that compromises yeah. the immune system. And that's what actually creates the disease. So, so when people begin to understand... Well, more than anything, it's actually their, it's their interpretation of the stress, the way they're mentally signaling themselves about their experience of the stress that causes the sense of stress, because not all stress is bad, of course. So if they're assigning a negative sensibility to that momentary experience of stress, then it will have the depressing uh, effect on the immune function. Exactly, exactly. And people, yeah. see, okay. see, the thing is, is that when I, wrote, when I wrote You Are the Placebo, one of the things that happened for me, and this was just my own personal journey, is I began to realize mm-hmm. how conditioned into limitation we really are. I mean, for me, it was an unconditioning yeah. process in writing that book because, my gosh, I just sat one day and just said, okay, I'm going to see how conditioned we really are as a species. And I mean, I don't watch television, but I sat down in my hotel room, turned the TV on, and I just listened. Uh, You know, if you, uh, it's it's winter time and you need a flu shot because those bugs are after you and, uh, you know, you need. (laughs) I know where you're going with this. 
I mean, I mean, if you accept, believe, and surrender to that thought without any analysis, you will program your autonomic nervous system into that destiny. Because if you understand that germs don't make you sick, you make you sick, and you begin to really yes. take responsibility for it, you may not be the first person in line for the flu shot. And by the way, those people who take the flu shot, they're more prone to get the flu anyway. So, That's I mean, there's find, so many right? elements. So many elements exactly. of belief that, Except, that begins. You know, what's part. interesting, if they believe the, if there is any benefit from taking the flu shot, it's their belief in the flu shot working rather than the biochemistry of the flu shot itself. Yeah, that, and that's you know? a strong element as well. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Please go on. And, and so, um, well, imagine now you have... Uh, 400 people in a room, uh, you know, we just did a, a very, very successful advanced workshop in Cancun where we had, mm-hmm. where we did all of our all of our brain measurements and we were doing a lot of the HRV measurements and measuring the energy of the room and measuring the energy around people's bodies and genetic changes. We're measuring all these things in, in people. And, yes. and the concept was really simple. I mean, I talk about this one research experiment by Ellen Langer uh, in my book, where it, she took a group of men to a monastery north of Harvard. And when she took these men to the monastery, she asked them uh, to pretend, these men were in their 70s and 80s, to pretend that they were 22 mm-hmm. years younger. And so she set up the environment uh, of the monastery to remind them of being 22 years younger. They had pictures of Mickey Mantle and Marilyn Monroe. They had the Cuban Missile Crisis uh-huh. going on and and they had uh, songs yeah. like from Matt King Cole. Anyway, the environment reminded them of being 22 years younger. Now, here's the yes. important element. She took very significant measurements of uh, these men's bodies. She measured their height. Yeah. She measured their weight. She measured their finger lengths, their toe lengths, their range of motion in their mm. body. They me- she measured um, um, their their cognitive ability and um, and their gait, how they walked. And then for five days, they began to think differently, they began to act differently, and they began began to feel differently. At the end of five days, she retook those measurements. And at the end of five days, the men were, certain men were taller, certain men lost weight. Most of them had longer finger lengths, longer toe lengths. Uh, most of them had more range of motion, better eyesight, and 60% improvement in their cognition and their gait was better. Now, they couldn't say finger length. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that explain? So so they couldn't consciously make their finger lengths longer. What they did was they moved into a new state of being. And so the question, of course, is who are we pretending to be or who are we pretending not to be? And when people begin to wrap their mind around this, and like as I was saying in our workshop in, in Cancun, our advanced workshop, for over 400 yeah. people retreating to a monastery in Cancun, spending five days pretending to be somebody else, where they were all their needs were met. <laughs> they were abundant. They were whole. They were clear. They were magicians. They were mystics. And the measurements that we took at the end of five days was was comparable to the measurements that we that Langer produced That's, in her research yeah. study. And of course, there's power in numbers. And you know, when you start seeing very significant changes. Uh, in people, and you're witnessing that right during the event, you're more prone to accept, believe, and surrender that it's possible for you. So exactly, your you're creating a new consent. You're creating a a consensus agreement, and you've got the 
more potent, um, morphogenetic field of everybody being in alignment, not just agreement, but alignment with the principles. Exactly. And, and so we created a new culture is really what we did in four yes. days. You know, uh, exactly. we created a subculture or a counterculture where healings took place and miracles happened and people created all these wonderful things and healed themselves from <sighs> past bruises and, and injuries and, and really, really in traumas and really, uh, it was a it was a magical four days. So we're using the same principles. Uh, we're just taking it yeah. to the next level. Yeah, exactly. Now, are you going to be doing uh, a similar thing in Norwalk in November on the East Coast, Norwalk, Connecticut? Well, <clears throat> the event in Norwalk, Connecticut on November seventh and ninth really is an opportunity for people to retreat from their lives just for a two and a half days and to remove the constant stimulation from their external environment that reminds them of who they think they are, to separate themselves yes. from the people they know. I love that phrase, by go. the way, Joe. I love the phrase of reminds them of who they think they are, and that is just so literally true, you know. Anyway, please yeah. go on. Yeah. And, and really begin to So it's a chance to, to withdraw and reshape and become who one wants to be through the activation of these principles that you have discovered through scientific inquiry actually work. Right, right. And you can't do it in your familiar environment. You gotta you gotta retreat. So the progressive workshop, yeah. you know, we, we help people find the present moment. We help them understand when we're when they're there and when they're not. Why? Because all possibilities in the quantum field exist in the present. We teach them uh, uh, how to tune into potentials that already exist in the quantum field and change their biology. We, we teach them how to uh, change beliefs and perceptions about themselves and their lives, how to, how to change mm-hmm. their body as their mind, and then recondition their body to a new mind. We, uh, we teach them quite a bit of information uh, in two and a half days. And, and the way we set it up that I think is so valuable is that we now know that if you give people information, as we started this conversation with, and people can understand that information. Information changes your brain because every time you learn something new, you add a new stitch into the three-dimensional tapestry of your gray matter. Now, it's not enough yeah. to just learn it. You've got to be able to repeat it because once you're able to repeat it, you're beginning to assemble those networks of neurons into more permanent structures. Those networks yeah. of neurons represent a model of understanding. So that once the person has the model in place and can repeat it, then we give them some instruction on how to apply that information. Now, if they can get their behaviors to match their intentions and their actions equal to their thoughts, they're going to have some type of new experience. That new experience should produce some type of transformation. So we've designed the workshop in in two days for people to really begin to change their brain and body uh, to to be greater than their environment, to be greater than the past memories of who they think they are, and to really open themselves up for possibility in some future time. And, and uh, we just did one in uh, in Baltimore two weekends ago, and we just did a, a big one in Phoenix this past weekend, and it was very, very successful. So people are really enjoying mm. it. Mm, that's beautiful. In fact, last time you were on, I think maybe when you were on the TV show, in fact, you were speaking about uh, the Phoenix, because I, I think you go to the same places annually and uh you were talking about some extraordinary healings that had taken place of serious physical uh injuries got healed through the application of uh of some of these principles 
Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. Do you remember that phenomenological? Oh yeah, and uh, it's interesting yeah. because phenomenologically, it's 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 still yeah. happening, and and uh, and and I can tell you that uh, when you see common people doing the uncommon, I think there's mm-hmm. not a lot of support for that in 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 uh, media, and not a lot of support for it in um, conventional circles. But that's right. When you witness when you witness someone doing the uncommon. Healing themselves. For example, I mean, if you see someone dance the salsa really well, you'll dance the salsa better because of mirror neurons. If you see someone yes. hit a tennis ball like Serena Williams, you'll hit a tennis ball better if you pay attention. If you see That's someone right. lead with compassion and, and, and kindness and, and courage in their life, you're more prone to lead with compassion and courage in your life. And if you see someone stand on the stage and talk about a genetic condition that they've had since they were a child, that was ruining their life, and you listen to the story that they tell of how they overcame their disease and how long it took them and every day how they overcame themselves, and you hear that that person no longer has any evidence of that disease in their body, you're more prone to accept, believe, and surrender that it's possible for you. So we're using these principles because we want people to really begin to embrace that whether they're taking it on by thought alone, whether they're getting, they're doing it with the assistance of certain uh, treatments and medications that they're using, doesn't matter. The key element is that they're getting better and they're not staying the same. And so, we're seeing it enough times now to know that that it's uh, it's becoming more than just a, a spontaneous event. That there's that, that's actually uh, something that they're intentionally creating. Exactly. It's not an exception to the rule. It's becoming the rule itself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd like to go back. First of all, I want to just let everybody know uh, you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're very glad to have you with us again today. If you don't yet receive our newsletter, make sure to go to uh, www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and sign up. It's free. It's every week and it announces the several shows we have are two radio shows and one television show here broadcast out of New York City. We are speaking with the hour with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, the author of several books. Most recently You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. Joe has been a, a regular guest on A Better World and for good reason. He really helps to illuminate the subject of neuroscience, of our being and our human possibilities and I just I just love the work that Joe has been doing and I keep wanting to bring him back for the uh, enrichment and upliftment of uh, all of you all of our audience he's also the author of the book breaking the habit of being yourself and as you listen to today's show you can hear how it is we form and accept this notion of who we think we are, as Joe put it so well. And then we can think ourselves to be someone else, and by using the power of thought, which comes down a lot to the power of language and image, and as Joe said at the beginning of symbol, i.e. information in a few different forms, we actually begin to shape our brain, shape our nervous system, and literally shape the flesh on our body. In fact, going back to that, Joe, I'd love to go back to that Latin American study that you said, so we can just deconstruct that for our audience for a moment. Uh, When the women who were the maids in the hotel rooms, etc., were told that the 
work that they're doing could actually reshape their figures and uh, those who need to lose weight and the like. It began to just happen. No dietary change, no stress reduction change, no sleep alteration, nothing. Just the information of, guess what? Uh, if you're doing the so much physical work, well, whatever was the, was the communication, just are you saying that just having the openness to the possibility that that can happen was itself the nourishment, if you will, the information they needed to begin to affect that outcome? Exactly. So intention can work for you or can work against you. If you're unconscious to understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it, the how diminishes. But if you understand this, the information behind what effects you could get, your mind plays an important role in shaping your body because you begin to assign more meaning to what you're doing. And, and once you assign more meaning to what you're doing, you have where you place your attention is where you place your energy. Now you have more yeah. attention and more energy on a specific outcome. And, and, um, and that's just one example of assigning meaning to, to outcomes. Yes, exactly. No, it's it's absolutely beautiful. And, I mean, I know that this is the way things work. And uh, having studied Ericksonian hypnotherapy and NLP umpteen years ago with uh, its founders. And at the same time, it's hard to um, kind of stay abreast of the wisdom of the words uh, unless you're living it. And you can live in a consensus reality that continues to reinforce it. Hence the importance of community. And if our various communities, be they religious, spiritual, business, social, sports, athletic, whatever the community, if we could have this as our default understanding, if you will, think of the better world we would have, you know? And that's really, you know, I think this is an amazing... And I know that's where you're going with it all, God bless you, right? I I, I, I really honestly uh, have... Uh, quite a bit of optimism about um, where we're going with all of this because, like, take, for example, you know, 10 years ago or so when the movie What the Bleed came out, the, most yeah. of the information uh, was a revelation for a lot of people and they intuitively understood it because they, on some level, they believe it. They just didn't know how to formulate the language for it. But ten years That's ago, right. it was a philosoph- it was a philosophical concept. Everybody wanted to talk quantum superimposition and quantum non-locality and epigenetics. But yeah, but 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 that was the extent of it. Now, fast forward ten years later, and for me to say this and being out there uh, and yeah. been, been around the world in the last uh, uh, ten years, yeah, this is not what people want anymore. People, there's not this is not a time in history where people want to know. This is information is so readily available. This is a time in history where people want to know how, and knowing mm-hmm. how means you're gonna you're gonna want to actually apply this so that you could have an, a wonderful and transformative experience. And so, yeah. it's a different speaking to an audience. Ten years ago, it was information. Now it's how to apply the information and demystify what was once so mystical. And and that's really where my passion is. If I could demystify and make it so simple that the average person could understand it, and then they begin to apply it into their lives. Well, they're going from philosopher 
to initiate to master, from mind to body to soul, from knowledge to experience to wisdom, from thinking to doing to being. And it takes those steps by learning philosophical, theoretical, you know, um, uh, scientific information, knowledge information, and then applying it, personalizing and demonstrating. And if you can do that properly, uh, you should have some type of new experience. Now, experience enriches circuitry in your brain that you understood or learned philosophically, but the end product of an experience is called an emotion. And when you begin to teach your body emotionally to understand what your mind is intellectually understood, knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body, that's the moment you begin to embody that knowledge. That's when you begin to signal mm. new genes in new ways. Literally. And you are chemically yeah. instructing your body to understand what your mind is understood. So, But it's not enough to do it once. You have to be able to replicate the experience. And if you can repeat an experience over and over again, you begin to hardwire the circuits in your brain and you begin to emotionally condition your body into a state of being. And when you get to that level where you've practiced it so many times where you no longer have to think about it, we could say when you're in that state of being, mind and body have merged as one. Or a better way to say mm. it is the body knows as well as the mind. Now, that's what I call mm-hmm. a state of being. So you yeah. could talk about compassion all you want. You can talk about loving kindness and forgiveness. But if you're not demonstrating it, then you haven't understood the truth of it. So then when you begin to feel compassion and your heart begins to open up or you feel forgiveness or you feel loving kindness, the moment you feel that emotion, now your body's getting new information and you're signaling new genes in new ways and you're literally rewriting the program. So that's what people want more now than ever. They want to be able to have the experience enough times that they begin to command uh, more mastery over their life. Absolutely. In fact, it's beautiful the way you put it. You're also creating, and correct me if my understanding isn't uh accurate, but you're creating a feedback loop that the more you feel the heart opening and you feel the compassion, you are literally physically embodying it and slash embedding it into your neurocircuitry, and that makes the likelihood of experiencing that over again with much greater probability. Exactly. So, so, so not only is it enhancing your uh, embedding in its neurocircuitry, but it's also embedding itself in the gene. So then body. now the you gene, have the brain, exactly. and, the brain and body beginning to change. And when you have an experience in your life where you feel compassion, where you feel in, uh, empowered, when you feel whole, when you feel mystified, when you feel love, the, the experience yeah. that you create, the, the energy and the emotion from the event is going to inspire you to do it again, and that's called evolution. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the other piece of it is that um, since you 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 mentioned um, you know the genes being signaled, and but then we have the epigenetic piece of it, which is that we're actually that this is not a one way street as we have commonly thought over the years, but rather a two way street, so that our lifestyle, our choices, our thoughts and emotions are also uh, influencing our genetic makeup. So you could say that we are creating a new lineage from the work we're doing inside ourselves today. Mm, I like that because I actually believe that. I think that, uh, you know, think about this, sixty to 70,000 thoughts we think in one day, 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. As same thoughts lead right. 
And they, all the same thoughts will always lead to the same choices. The same choices will lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors will create the same experiences, and the same experiences produce the same emotions. And it's those emotions, then, that is the same information from the environment through our perception and our sensory information that begins to keep yeah. activating the same genes in the same way. So genes are like Christmas tree lights. They're, they're turning on and yes. off all the time. But if there's no new information coming from the environment, you're keeping the same gene turned on and the other gene turned off, and now you're headed for a genetic destiny. So change your choices, change your behaviors, change your experience, change your thoughts, change your emotions, and you're upregulating new genes and you're downregulating old genes, and that's how people begin exactly. to change. But it takes, it takes a little bit of effort and repetition to keep knocking on the genetic door to begin to program the gene. Why? Because the body is, has an intelligence, and it doesn't want to be sick or doesn't want to be unhappy or doesn't want to be angry. But if you're insisting over time by living by the same states, you keep knocking on the genetic door, you program the gene for some type of disease. Well, if that took you five years to do, it may take you a little bit of time to undo it, too, because you understand exactly. that on some level you've, exactly. you've created it, you'll have to uncreate it. Exactly. This is not the McDonald's of consciousness and enlightenment school, you know. It <laughs> takes some time, you know. I'd like to ask you, Joe, uh, about the role of the prefrontal cortex in a lot of what it is uh, you do and, uh, you know, the, the teachings you're doing in your book and your lectures and your, and your workshops. What role does it play, as far as you can see, in this Re, reconditioning according to one's desired outcomes and intentions. Ah, well, the frontal lobe, uh, Mitchell, is the crowning achievement of the human being. It's 40% yes. of the entire brain. The next closest species, chimpanzees and gibbons, about 14 to 17%, dogs about 7%, and for those cat lovers on the show, about 3.5%. Now, <laughs> the frontal lobe, so if your cat's smarter than you, it should tell you a few things. Your frontal lobe is the boss. <laughs> it's the CEO. It's the symphony leader. Yes. It's the executive. And the frontal yes. lobe does a few important things. The first thing it does is it loves to create. It loves to speculate possibilities. It loves to think about new outcomes. And as you begin to ask mm -hmm. what I call a frontal lobe question, like what would it be like, what would I have to change about myself, who could I be, when you ask that frontal lobe type of question, that's when the frontal mm -hmm. lobe begins to turn on, and in, in its speculation, in its, in its contemplation, uh, it begins to look yeah. out over the landscape of the entire brain, and it begins to activate and select different networks of neurons that you've either learned or experienced in your life. And when you get enough of those networks turned on, you have a new idea, or you have an intention, or you have an internal representation, a new possibility. Yes. So in the brain, a realization, the a parts, revelation, yeah. Exactly. The sum of the parts mm -hmm. is greater than the whole. So the frontal lobe is the creative center, and that's when we begin to ask those important questions, the brain begins to fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. And whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind. Mind is the brain in action. So then if you're going to remind yourself every single day we produce the same level of mind, of a future, a vision of the future, you're beginning to install the neurological circuits in your brain to look like the event physically has already occurred. So now, mm -hmm. that's important because you're priming your brain to the future because for the most part, our brain is a record of the past. 
So number one thing the frontal lobe does is it allows us to create. The second thing it does is what we call the seat of our conscience. You can begin to think about what you've been thinking about. You can look at and observe how you've been acting. You can notice how you're feeling. And that concept in neuroscience called metacognition means we could modify our behaviors to do a better job in life. So the moment you're observing how you're thinking, acting, and feeling, it means you're no longer a program. Now you're the consciousness observing the program. And that's when you begin to objectify your subjective mind. Now the third thing the frontal mm-hmm. lobe does, which is so important, is I call it the volume control. When you're truly mm-hmm. focused and you're truly paying attention, you don't want to be distracted by the drives and needs of your body or the pain in your body. You don't want to be thinking about the people or things or places in your external environment. And you even want to be thinking about time. So when the frontal lobe begins to turn on, it begins to quiet down the circuits in your brain that process time and space. And when that occurs, the internal representation becomes more real than the external reality. And that's when the thought mm-hmm. literally begins to become programmed into the nervous system and, and uh, <clears throat> that process of, of getting beyond your body, your environment, and time allows you to enter the, uh, the, the world of the quantum field. It's, it allows us to begin to step through that door into possibility. And, and we've, we've studied this in our, in our, we've looked at over 850 brain scans, and our students in our workshops can do this, alter their brain states uh, very, very quickly, in four seconds, five seconds, nine seconds, 12 seconds, 30 seconds, not because uh, they're showing off, but it's just that they've practiced it so many times it's become a skill for them. And frontal yeah. lobe is what allows yeah. us to make thought more real than anything else. And if you are going to heal yourself by thought alone or to change something in your life by thought alone, then you have to become thought alone. And it's the frontal lobe that mm-hmm. allows us to do that. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. You know, my sense is, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, uh, you know, we have this idea, understanding, and it's very true, that language really is shaping our experience. It shapes our perception. Uh, and uh, we experience life very much through language and image, as I had said before. When we use language creatively and constructively, such as this embedded in the idea of an affirmation, um, a positive statement of the way we want our future to be, and we state it in the present tense and imagine it as something that's already done, basically ideas that you've been um, articulating in this dialogue. Um, My sense is, Joe... The reason the affirmation typically does not hold is because there's a a subconscious blowback, a kickback that is contrary to the notion of the affirmation. However, if the affirmation can be uh, described or uh, articulated when someone is in a more highly active prefrontal cortex state of being, the chances of permeating the brain and getting to the neurocircuitry in a more permanent way increases. Does that make sense to your understanding of neurophysiology? Yeah, and there's a few important elements that we should dissect. One, number one, is that the frontal lobe also allows us to be present. And when you're paying attention, paying attention is being present. 
And where you yes. place your attention is where you place your energy. So if you are present in the moment, then you're no longer siphoning energy into the past or the future. So the frontal lobe allows us to do that. The second thing is yes. if you're truly focused, and focus is an important element, when you're truly focused, you lower the volume to your external environment, and that's the moment thought becomes real. The third thing that yes. allows affirmations to work really well is that 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old pretty much is a programmed state of being. It's how automatic behaviors, emotional reactions that are autopilot, beliefs and perceptions and attitudes that function like a subconscious computer program. So the person yes. now is going to try to change their, their selves with their 5% of their conscious mind to think positively, but they're emotionally conditioned into negativity. That's mind and body in opposition. Or they may, you know, yeah. create their dream board with all their wonderful pictures of their new life, but if they feel unworthy, that's mind and body in opposition. So then, in order for them to truly, really begin to program their subconscious, they have to get beyond their conscious mind. Now, what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. And if they understand a little bit of science of brain waves, and they can really move their brain waves and alter their brain waves they'll begin to slip mm -hmm. beyond the analytical mind into the operating system where true change can take place. And if you can teach yes. a person to begin to emotionally teach their body what the future is going to feel like, then they are more prone to accept, believe, and surrender to the thoughts equal to that emotional state. Now, last point is that most people wait for their wealth to show up, to give gratitude. That most people wait for their success to appear before they feel empowered or the, 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 yes. the mystical moment to feel awe. Well, that's cause and effect. The quantum model is about causing an effect. So then you have to bring up the emotion. You have to feel empowered in order for you to become successful. You have to feel awe before the mystical moment. You have to feel abundant and free before your wealth appears. Now that then is def getting beyond defining reality with your senses. And that when you begin to understand that, people begin to do uh, some very cool and uncommon things. Got it. That is such a wonderful point. And uh, I know we're heading out of time. You are uh, on a very serious deadline today. So uh, I, you know that I have a two-hour show here. <laughs> you and I can easily continue forward with it because uh, this is uh, – the material that that so turns us on and keeps us going in our lives to do the the things that we're doing and that is a beautiful kind of a summit point if you will to uh complete today's show on but you will come back will you not i only go where i'm invited mitchell so if you invite me i'll come <laughs> okay very good our audience loves you joe it's really it's very rich beautiful material that you do and continue to do and uh you're really unearthing um there was that one line you said the mind is the brain in action yes did you say that well, you know yeah mind is very mind interesting is the brain in action yes same phrase yes yeah well think about could it could you just comment you on it quickly yeah, you have a you have a hundred billion neurons in your brain, and uh, if you take a snapshot like an MRI of the brain, you're looking for broken parts or missing pieces or injured areas. But when you see yeah. a motion picture of the brain, that's called mind. Mind is the brain in action. Hundred billion neurons; those neurons can fire in infinite uh, possible sequences, patterns, and combinations. And when you make your brain work sure. differently. You're changing your mind. You have a mind to drive your car. You have a mind to speak French. You have a mind to eat with your right hand. You have a mind to eat with your left hand. You have a mind to tie sure. your shoes. You have a mind to complain. 
those are all different levels of mind because you're activating different circuits and different combinations. So if you keep reproducing the same level of mind, nerve cells that fire together wire together. And your biology, your neurocircuitry, your neurochemistry, your neurohormones, and even your genetic expression then will be equal to how you think, how you act, and how you feel. Got it. Got it. Beautiful. Beautiful. In closing, let's let the audience know again of your workshops. I mean, we have a national audience, so I understand you're doing something. Uh, in fact, it's this weekend in Seattle. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. This it's a it's a private event, uh, but uh, oh, I'll be in okay. your I'll be in Europe. Uh, I'll be in wow. I'll just be in London. I'll be in Amsterdam. I'll be in Barcelona and uh, Hamburg in a week or so, and then. Uh, back in uh, the United States, and then uh, and then in Europe, uh, and then I'll be doing a little thing for Hay House. So I'll be all over. I think the best thing to do is just go to the website, really, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Exactly. Go to the website, uh, com, and uh, you'll be out on the East Coast in Norwalk, Connecticut, which is very much our area, uh, early November. I think it's November 7th right on my grandmother's birthday. God bless. I see it as a good omen, Joe. It's beautiful. Thank you. Listen, thanks. Absolutely. You're so welcome. Thank you so much again for being on with us today. And it's a pleasure, as always, to speak with you. And I'll catch up with you very soon. Thank you, Mitchell, for doing all the great things that you're doing. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. God bless. We'll talk soon. Bless you. Okay. Okay. Best to you. Bye-bye now. That was Dr. Joe Dispenza, the author of You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter, and numerous other books. He was first well-known and recognized as a real thought leader and teacher uh, through the wonderful film going back, oh my word, to uh, around 2005 of uh, What the Bleep Do We Know?, when we had William Arnson, one of the directors, and a uh, few other people from that film back then, and were uh, actively engaged in helping people see it in the theaters and beyond then, uh, and beyond that, because uh, it was really helping to herald in a series of ideas that are very, very important to many of us who have been on this path of uh, self-inquiry, of exploration, of opening up the further frontiers of the mind, body, brain complex, our psychobiology, if you will, uh, because it really helps us place ourselves in the larger quantum field. We've got just uh, awesome information available these days, and it, it breaks down all barriers of what we thought was the case. Uh, the old paradigm is just been... Uh, kind of subsumed into a much larger, much more mutable neuroplastic framework about what is possible. I know that if you look at the world, it will appear to be, um, you know, same, same, and much of it is. That doesn't mean it has to be that way. It just means it is that way because of a certain lack of understanding, a certain lack of generalized information, and a certain amount of effort. Yes, it does take effort to implement these ideas. We have a, a wave of, of decades of conditioning along a certain path, and unless you are remaining objective 
to the way you digest information, like Joe was talking about being uh, in his hotel room and turning on the television, which he rarely does, and sees the the gobs of conditioning that is being hurled at us moment to moment in every domain of our lives, walking down the street in New York, the billboards, the signs, the print media, the television, the radio, everywhere, Internet, we look, we are actually being made into amazing consumers because the largest engine we've got is the economic engine and the striving for wealth through monetary gain. And uh, I would like to remind everyone there are numerous types of wealth. Wealth of love, wealth of life, wealth of health, wealth of vitality, wealth of compassion for others, wealth of conscious intended activity. These are all forms of wealth. And uh, to delimit that notion to just one segregated idea of money in the bank, paper, money, digits on a computer screen is rather uh, narrowed. So with that said, and with the brilliance that uh, Joe Dispenza brought forward here today, as usual, um, I find I'm just titillated titillated by what he has to share and the fluidity with which he shares his personal experience of himself and his own mind and brain and heart and soul, as well as what it is he's now been observing for uh, well over a decade in his numerous students around the world. And uh, it's just exciting, just exciting. Him reporting in on his wealth at this point of observation, of experience, as well as scientific data. They are rather, rather uh, dedicated to gathering and measuring using any number of different types of measuring systems. And uh, he's doing that at these workshops that he's conducting literally around the world. So with that said, you all know how I feel about the power of science overall and neuroscience and that he said it well when Joe said that uh, the uh, mystical of old is the scientific of today. And I think there's a tremendous amount of truth and power in that statement, that his commitment is to demystify the ancient notions uh, found embedded in the spiritual teachings, the wisdom traditions, East and West, and showing how they operate those principles in the uh, domain of quantum physics, as well as in neuroscience and biology and genetics. It's really all there. The discoveries that were made and understood many, many moons ago are showing up very much in um, under the light, in the light of science, and explainable and thereby repeatable in ways that weren't quite same in the past. We've gained some leverage and uh, you know, uh, one of my good friends, colleagues, and teachers, Yasuhiko Genku Kimura, uh, who teaches a course called Authentic Thinking, uh, brings forth this idea of 
reinventing and recreating what he refers to wisely as spiritual technologies. And why is it that all domains of our lives have progressed and evolved in some ways over the past couple thousand years, but somehow the domain of spirituality has remained ensconced in old churches and temples and synagogues, and we keep repeating the same narrative over and over again. Well, why not wake up to a new one? Why not create a new one? And in fact, I think that that's the kind of work that people like Dr. Joe Dispenza is doing, Dr. Michael Cotton of Higher Brain Living is doing, Dr. Richard Davidson uh, in studying the Buddhist monks' uh, brains and showing, learning of what's being emitted from them and giving us a clue about how we can possibly create those sort of effects without sitting in a meditation posture for six hours a day, 24-7, you know, or I should say seven days a week. You know, we've got to find something a bit more practical for the Western self, if you know what I mean. Um, not to mention the environmental clock is ticking and what we're doing to our planet. We don't have that kind of time any longer. And why not speed things up? When I first really dipped into, no pun intended, the flotation tank back in the late 80s, uh, of course I had known about them uh, long before that, but I myself first started to really engage their power myself and opened up uh, a healing rejuvenation center in New York, uh, kind of a brain gym called the Center for Creative Well-Being in 1989, using flotation tanks, using a, a dry flotation tank that uh, would bring one into an altered state through sound, through uh, the um, binaural beat alpha, theta, delta waves being emitted through the music, um, I began really to understand what innovations in spiritual technology was about, uh, taking the ancient forms of meditation and Qigong and Tai Chi Chuan and Aikido, all of these are utterly brilliant. And what if you can put it into faster gear? I mean, who is going to argue with that? From my view, the uh, use of the flotation tank was one of those higher gear modalities of the use of work like what, uh, what we, who we used to call Brother Charles, now Master Charles, of the synchronicity, the recognitions experience with whom I was working back in the mid-1980s is doing. I feel that also has an an accelerating effect on consciousness. We know it to be true. I know I experienced it literally in my own mind and body. Uh, it is real, and they have real benefits. Uh, and today, with things such as uh, higher brain living, something I just received training in myself, um, you know, it's a powerful, powerful method of both opening up the prefrontal cortex, of engaging it in ways that look measurable and comparable to uh, measurements taking place with long-term meditators, fascinatingly, and maybe even a bit inexplicably, but nonetheless uh, accurately. And that's really, really interesting. And you take that along with the mapping 
that uh, Dr. Michael Cotton has devised based on Ken Wilber's brilliant um, mapping of the four quadrants of internal experience, of objective experience, of measurement, of institutions, of collective we experience, the cultural experience of us all together, singing Kumbaya, <laughs> whatever we may do. Um, as a culture and our artistic endeavors, the objective-subjective interface that we each experience every day. Um, we can map out a kind of future that we really want, which is really um, analogous in many ways to what Joe Dispenza today was talking about. And I'd really recommend you go back into our archives, a betterworld.tv, just open up Radio Archive, and put in Joe's name and put in Michael Cotton's name, and you'll be able to hear the interviews I've done with each uh, over time and uh, begin to correlate the information. Also, Dr. Richie Davidson is there and uh, Dr. Stan Tatkin, and we have a few others of similar ilk that are just uh, really helping to synthesize our understanding of the mind-body mechanisms and how they work in complement and how really they are on a... Um, on a spectrum of being the same, just of finer or denser material, if you want to look at it from a physics point of view. It's not separate mind and body, no, 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 nor is spirit and matter, no, 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 but on a continuum of greater or lesser density, grosser or subtler, another way of framing it but truly one as we understand the nature of the universe truly one and of infinite possibility so anyway i do hope this is interesting to you and you can take this and put it in your pipe and smoke it and, uh, or chew on it as the case may be imbibe it for sure uh let yourself be imbued by this intelligence that Dr. Joe Dispenza was sharing with us and embedded in our dialogue and the dialogues of myself with our many guests here on A Better World. You know what we're thinking. You know where we're going. And you are part of it. So please know. Send me your feedback, your comments. Love to hear them at mjr at abetterworld.net mjr, my initials at abetterworld.net get on our newsletter at abetterworld.tv visit uh, the other website mitchellrabin.com I'll leave it to your imagination about how to spell all of that uh, we do still need spellers in this world even though we're highly video oriented and imagistic I do believe that uh, people can still spell and um it's another exercise of our brain that I think is highly healthy. And uh, we are always looking for donors and uh, for those who help to support and sustain the life and work of a better world here in New York City, although through cyberspace we are everywhere. And I know we have a following uh, across our precious 
planet. So please forward this to your friends in different parts of the world uh, and let them know what we're up to. uh, And donations of any size literally are so helpful to us, helps us to sustain and stay on the air week after week, both radio and TV, and uh, know that we're actively engaged in the transformation of our precious minds and planet. Uh, Both need transformation, and when we transform our minds and get in touch with our deeper values, we end up with a better world. With that, I just thank you all again. Uh, This is Mitchell J. Rabin, and I look forward to seeing you all next